This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. You know, as being the guy behind working on technology with Deepak, it gives me immense pleasure to welcome you all to Sages. And this is an opportunity for us as technologists to really bring about Deepak's vision to really create the critical mass for a conscious community which is joyful, energetic, healthy, sustainable. And technology today is at the crossroads where we can really use technology to really democratize learning, well-being, knowledge, healthcare. So I'm super thrilled to be here today with you all uh, remotely via Humogram, which is the first example of really using virtual uh, virtualization. I'm the next version of Skype and Facebook Live. How do you kind of Irrespective of where you are in the world, can we connect the unconnected? Can we bring global experts? Somebody like me who's always on the road, can I connect, have a better uh, communication with my family? So I'm super excited. And on the panel today, um, obviously, we have the CEO of Art Media, Paul Duffy. Paul Duffy, say hi. I want to say hi, hi to you, morning, by the way. everybody. Thank you. I also have a good friend of mine, Simon Leong, who I had the pleasure of working with from Motorola days, who's really a thought leader in technology. Uh, really operating out of Hong Kong, who has a big vision to really roll virtual, virtual technologies out to the world. And then uh, a co-founder of Jayo and my mentor, Deepak Chopra. So once again, I'm very grateful. But before we get started, I want to really thank a couple of people. One is I want to thank uh, the Chopra Center team for pulling this off. Sarah and team, wonderful. Uh, without you guys, this would not be possible. Carolyn and the Chopra Foundation team. And the technology team, which has been really working in the back, Rene and Jake, the PSAV team, no, Daniel Choi, uh, and uh, my tech guy, Giju, on the back end, who've really been working tirelessly to make this work. So thank you. Uh, so with that, let me uh, get into the first question I really have. Why, what do you think is the future of online and offline communication? Asking uh, me? <laughs> Flickering in and out. Actually, let's, let's, let's start with Paul. Paul, you kind of uh, put this together. But before Paul goes on stage, maybe I'll have Deepak share his vision to reach a billion people. Okay. okay. Sounds good. Do you want to go first, uh, Deepak? Uh, okay, I can, or Paul can. So where do I see the future of all this going? Is that yeah. the question? Okay. Um, well, you know, basically, we've got them flickering in and out, so we probably should have cable plugged in. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know... Where's the remote, right? Small issues. The best of technologies. Can be managed. Projector guy, come on. Um, well, it's, a, it, it's, it's actually quite exciting. I mean, at the end of the day, really what we're doing here is we've created a little bit of a, I'll call it an ecosystem of technologies, many of which, um, you know, you've probably got uh, or seen before, projectors, screens, cameras, etc. And ultimately what we did is we fused all this together to allow us to really take what we think of as the best in the world out to the rest of the world. And we wanted to be able to do it so that we could deliver uh, folks like Deepak and others, as you see Punacha here, uh, through the public internet in a high-fidelity digital human experience. And the reason for that was we believed that if we could do it in an economical sense, we could really break down some borders. And, you know, this is not magic. I think all of us today are quite comfortable with how we use our phones, how we see people on YouTube and Skype and FaceTime, etc. But what we really wanted was we wanted to have the power of the person front and center in the dialogue. And to make it truly effective, what we wanted was two-way interaction, like we're experiencing here today. And so as we began setting about building that, it came together very quickly. 
uh, we began to work with an awful lot of very interesting partners. Uh, obviously, the journey brought us to this stage today, sitting with uh, Deepak and others. And as we set about doing that, we realized that the roadmap and the technology and where it's going to take us is getting super exciting. And so it's not a stretch. You know, you heard earlier about Deepak's VR. You've heard about some of the other technologies that are emerging. Ultimately, for all of us here, it's about how do we pull the digital human, how do we take that essence of who you are, your personality, and literally bring it right here to a table so you can have a handset that you can click on and you can actually experience pretty much what we're doing right now. So ultimately for us, the future is how do we capture the power of that person, how do we package it in a low-cost to no-cost capability out to the rest of the world. So I don't want to rattle on all day about this. But <laughs> so Simon, I had a helps. question for you, Simon. <laughs> yeah. Simon, question for you was that in markets such as uh, uh, like basically China, how do you see this kind of going and really spreading the word China, India, okay. really big markets? One of the, one of the reasons I, will, I like to do this because I would like Deepak not to travel as much. <laughs> so maybe when he starts, wants to be in different places, this is perfect technology. Well, <laughs> it's actually uh, one of Deepak's goal is actually to reach a billion people. So... I think without China and India, is actually that goal will be a little bit tough to, uh, to achieve. So, uh, so that's where I come in. Uh, <laughs> but let me do a little bit of level setting, and you kind of wonder why I'm here with, uh, with this good-looking guy called Paul Duffy. Um, actually, you can look at the two of us, actually one virtual company. Uh, uh, NetDragon is a uh, public company in Hong Kong. Uh, we have been in the Internet business for 17 years. Our business is actually to build communities. So that's why uh, we got together. I talk... Maybe I'll give you a little bit of story on that one. Um, but we see using different technology to enable us to build a community. So yeah. uh, about six months ago, I ran into him right here in L.A., and then I like the technology so much, uh, we wrote a check and invested into the company. So we are a major uh, shareholder of the company uh, today. And I've been working with Paul for the last many, many months. Uh, I see him more than seeing my wife, which is a big problem for me. But anyway, <laughs> don't, do, not, do, do not tell her. Yeah. Well, actually, how we get together is actually quite interesting. It's actually the power of uh, community and technology. Technically, I met Deepak uh, a few years ago when he was a keynote speaker at Microsoft, but we didn't have a chance to, to talk. But I've known Punacha for a very long time. We worked together in a company called Motorola. I think uh, you may have heard of it uh, before. Um, and actually, one night I was in Hong Kong. I was uh, in front of my PC, and then something popped up and say, um, Punacha Machaya, uh, founder of Jio. And then I say, oh, okay, so let me connect with him. So I say, hey, congratulations. Two seconds later, a message come back. Hey, Simon, I want to talk to you about virtual reality. So uh, the next day we got on the phone, uh, the rest is history, and we're here working together. Um, what, what we are doing and what we want to uh, um, do to support Deepak's goal is to use all the technology that we have uh, be it virtual reality, augmented reality, hologram. Uh, is actually one big uh, the, um, technology area that we never talk about uh, in public a lot is actually the whole area around big data. All the analytics, when you build a community, I know somebody from Facebook is going to be in, uh, in a panel later on, I think th and she will tell you uh, big data and data analytics is a big part. The other area we've, we're also uh, investing a lot into is actually machine learning, so we can help the learners to uh, achieve their goals. So, um, you know, I, we see it, we have uh, a common vision. Uh, it's actually with um, Deepak's uh, vision and leadership, 
uh, it is our goal yeah. to use all the technology to bring his vision uh, not only uh, uh, to, um, uh, to you uh, at home, but also uh, when you're mobile, uh, when you're uh, everywhere. Um, and the, the last thing I want to say is actually is, uh, the O2O implementation, which is online to offline or offline to online. Uh, because we do believe uh, learning experience cannot be all um, online uh, or cannot be all offline. It's got to be a blend. Uh, so that's why our vision is to bring the experience both in the online environment and offline. And Humogram, can go back to one of the, uh, the key technology we talked about uh, in the last two days, that enable us to take the experience through the online environment and then in a local offline uh, implementation. So my goal is actually to get Deepak traveling around the world without getting on a plane. So that will be my goal. <laughs> so building more sustainable communities. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the question I had for you, Simon, very specifically was that, you know, we talked about yesterday that this whole area of MOOCs, right, massive open online courses, we really saw that the completion rates on MOOCs are, I think, close to 2 or 3%. So I, I'm, I'm looking at some technologies like this which can really come in and connect the top experts, create communities, and really in emerging markets make it more interactive and immersive. I think that's one of the goals, I think, working with Deepak, we would like to kind of explore. So Deepak, what's your vision? I know we just have two minutes left. I just want to make sure that what is your vision for Actually, technology? Actually, we have, we have 14 minutes left. <laughs> oh, we are switching to the next panel. Is it? Okay. Okay, okay five minutes. <laughs> Whatever. So here's something. We've heard lots of uh, discussions on uh, mind being both embodied and relational. So now, right now, there are people watching us all over the world, approximately. We've had last night 250,000 people, and of course, this information lives on the internet. Nothing dies in cyberspace is one way to achieve immortality. Um, but uh, once we understand this, that, you know, that we, this interconnectivity, just think of the implications. So several years ago, uh, I saw a demonstration through mirrors uh, in San Diego at the, at the Salk Institute by our friend, uh, uh, forget his name right now, come to me, uh, the great neuroscientist, where Ramachandran. Who said that? Yeah, Ramachandran. So the, the, he was showing uh, in a, through mirror technology where a person with a paralyzed left arm could get feedback. Whenever he moved his right arm, he got the experience that the left arm was moving. So experience modifies neural networks. Right now, this experience you're having is activating your frontal cortex. If we had an experience where we were Im intensely emotional, like the uh, compassionate meditation, uh, then you would be getting a dopamine hit right now uh, through your limbic brain or an oxytocin hit. And people in... South Africa watching us uh, would also be getting that. So it's not only that we regulate each other's minds and are regulated by each other's minds, but we are part of a larger mind. And that's becoming very obvious, at least through technology, right? So I can say something very hurtful 
and somebody who's being hurt in Mongolia will have their cortisol go up. And that will interfere, of course. It will compromise their immune system. So the next step is not only are our minds and our emotions regulating each other, and by being regulated by each other, being regulated by each other, so are our biologies intertwined. Our biologies are intertwined. It's obvious. You can do that. You can, right this moment, if I said something hurtful to somebody and they were watching me wherever, their bodies would be compromised. Their immune system would be compromised. This is now becoming very obvious that, you know, we have to start using body-mind in the same way that we use wave particle, in the same way as we use mass energy, in the same way as we use space-time, in the same way as we use biological organism and environment. These divisions are totally artificial. There's one wholeness, and we are part of it. And so this is my first vision is how can we, learning is good, but yeah. how can we actually start healing ourselves and our planet through love, compassion, joy, equanimity, empathy, and what have been considered divine emotions in the great wisdom traditions. But all this fits back, uh, fits the neural feedback, we don't have to use mirrors anymore. We can use um, virtual reality to start to treat patients who are getting a rehab experience um, after a stroke. So we can rewire their neural networks. We can use the same technology for treating people with uh, eating disorders, with phobias, with anxiety. Uh, with inflammation, because, you know, inflammatory processes are linked to almost every illness, chronic illness that we have, including things like uh, uh, autoimmune illnesses, cardiovascular disease, diabetes. Again, you know, we've kind of, now the more we understand, the risk factors for all chronic diseases are the same. The risk factors for cardiovascular disease, autoimmune illness, and many types of cancer are the same. You heard Rudy say only 5% of disease-related gene mutations are fully penetrant, which means there's a one-to-one -one correspondence between the mutation and the disease. The rest increase your risk, but they're influenced by so many factors. So, you know, we've heard so much information. My vision is uh, with... Uh, the help of people like Simon and Paul and Punacha and many others who are going to join us in a few minutes, is that we now have the technology to create that critical mass, whatever that critical mass is in the world, <laughs> to move in the direction of a more peaceful, just, sustainable, healthier, and joyful world. Otherwise, we don't do justice to the word civilization. Um, you know, because ever since so-called civilization began, it's been violent and it's been predatory and it's been inflammatory. We need to reverse that. Mm -hmm. And thanks to the great, you know, technology is neutral. You can use it to create uh, 
terrorism, you can uh, uh, interfere with air traffic signals, with pacemakers. I don't want to give ideas, but you know, <laughs> just know the technology can destroy the world, this technology, yeah. but can also heal the world. Yeah. And so I'm very grateful to all of you guys and all those who are going to join us in a few minutes. Uh, I wanted to show your facility. His facility is <laughs> yeah, between Hong Kong and Shanghai. And he, how many people do you have working there? Yeah, we have a few thousand people. I don't know whether you saw the, uh, there's a spaceship being flashed in, on, on the screen. So it's a building in the shape of a, a spaceship. In case you wonder, uh, that's my office in, uh, in China. Uh, it's actually, I'm not kidding at all. Um, <laughs> Actually, we have about 400 acres of land there, and that's only a small part of it. Um, I'll give you a bit of story. Uh, you wonder, you say, oh, it looks like a Starship Enterprise. The, the answer is absolutely yes. It is. Um, so um, somebody on the Internet uh, uncovered that building. Uh, is actually on Google Map. And then uh, that person assumed, because it's from China, it should be a knockoff. Um, so which... Um, there's kind of, the building. Yeah, that's the, yeah, that's the building. Yeah. Uh, but I have to put it on record. Uh, we did uh, get a license uh, from CBS. Uh, actually, it is uh, legit. Uh, actually, when we approached them, they uh, did not know how to react. They said, we have no, never had anybody coming to us to get a license <laughs> to do this. Uh, but they're smart businessmen. Uh, the check is actually pretty sizable. Um, but but, but <laughs> I'm just trying to tee up... Um, is actually we have a, um, you know, this whole thing around wellness fit into our company culture a lot. The reason we put this up is not like, I mean, because we are Chinese, partly true, but also we want to create a very uh, active uh, environment among our, um, our workforce. So uh, there's a lot of uh, sports facility, uh, wellness facility in there. We have an Olympic-sized pool. Uh, is actually we have a 10-meter diving platform. Um, is actually we have a uh, penalty system in our company. Uh, if you don't make your quota, you have to jump from the three-meter <laughs> platform. Um, if you're late to a meeting, you have to run 5K. Uh, as you can tell, I don't, you're, you're I, I don't get late. You're on time frequently, I, I, I yeah. Am, I'm very timely, <laughs> and uh, I, uh, I make all my quotas. No, it's actually, yeah, it, it's true. So, um, uh, so working and supporting uh, Deepak is actually is wonderful. No, no, the, the key thing is actually, I, I'm, I'm not a scientist, and then I'm a techno, I, I guess I'm an evangelist in, techno, in technology. It, it just is it, so good to see we can provide all this technology to bring the vision to, um, uh, to everybody, uh, not only to, uh, uh, to your home, but only also to the, the person. What Paul was talking about is a technology that we are looking at that we can use augmented reality to bring Deepak into your home as long as you define there's a, uh, a, a virtual space in your home that you want him to come visit, so, um, or, which or, uh, I'm really looking for. anyone to. else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, trust me, you don't want me to visit, yeah. uh, and neither do you want Paul. Uh, but anyway, sorry, so, Deepak. Uh, thank you, Simon. So I'll just say one more thing, sure, Deepak. Uh, and that is our politicians haven't realized that all boundaries are conceptual or notional. And, you know, if there's one principle we should get from quantum physics is that the universe is boundaryless at the most fundamental level. There are no boundaries. And they're perceptual, conceptual, notional, but 
They're all man-made, right. yeah. uh, all boundaries. And while the politicians are warmongering with imaginary boundaries, we can peacemonger now through <laughs> breaking those boundaries because right. they don't exist yeah. in cyberspace. Thank you, Deepak. So with that, I want to thank Simon, Paul, and Deepak. I really appreciate your vision for augmented reality, VR, and really connecting the unconnected. My, we're going to move on to the next panel. Uh, I think we should now kind of wrap up this panel. Thank you, Simon. Thank you, Paul. Deepak, you. you'll still be on stage, uh, and we'll get the rest of the speakers to come <laughs> on board. So, thank, thank you, Deepak. We'll, thank you, yeah. Deepak. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Morning. Thank you, Simon. Thank you, Paul. Wow, this actually works, which is amazing. You know, so I was uh, being a technologist, always look for technical glitches. But Murphy's Law, but today has been wonderful. So let me welcome on stage uh, the, I'm really delighted to have some of the top thinkers in the different fields. I think they're coming on stage now. There's Moira Burke from Facebook. Excited to have her on board. Dr. Jim Mall from Qualcomm. Sridhar Salur from Comcast. We have Patty Barrett from Scripps Translational Research. Rick Stallmeyer, Upasna, and Jeffrey Martin. Oh, we have one more chair. Okay. I think I don't really belong anymore, so <laughs> take my seat, Upasna. No. Oh, there you go. Hey. Awesome. We'll go. We're going to make it work. Excellent. So I'm delighted to have you guys on board. Uh, for me today, this is uh, one exceptional panel, so I'm not going to do a whole lot of talking, but the reason here is that as a technologist, I'm super excited. Today we have uh, Deepak's meditations on VR. We just released the VR meditation. Uh, we also have uh, what we call the Dream Weaver. We've been working on this for a while, which really uses brain entrainment technologies and binaural beats, uh, bringing it to the general, the general consumer. But I think our vision as we go in today, we have Moira Burke from Facebook really talking about how, how, how can social networks bring about well-being. And she's going to demystify well-being for us a lot. I'm going to have them each do a two-minute introduction of themselves and the amazing work they're doing. But I want to kind of at least connect the dots. We have Dr. James Mall from Qualcomm, Chief Medical Officer, who really is going to bring together this whole IoT, Internet of Things in the medical world, uh, biosensors, feedback. If somebody is getting depressed or has certain medical conditions, how can you detect it in near real time? My dear friend Sridhar Salur, who is at Comcast, who is SVP of IoT, is really going to talk about technology, uh, integrating that into people's lifestyles. He was the guy who kind of launched a HP strategy in, uh, in watches. So he brings about the whole element of can we wear our technology? Is technology fashionable? Uh, and then we're going to, uh, obviously, Deepak with his vision for technology. Moving on to <laughs> Patty Barrett, dear friend of mine. I usually have, uh, typically every other week, I, I sit with him for 30 minutes, get a brain dump. And his vision for really looking at depression, uh, burnout, uh, physicians who suicides in, in the U.S., and really taking his thought leadership into the corporate world, looking at stress management. So I'm excited to have Patty on board. Rick Stolmeyer, CEO of MindBody Online, a partner of Jaya, uh, excited to have him here. And his vision to really bring about this online, offline communities, bringing in service providers to kind of connect into the ecosystem. Upasna Kamenini from Apollo Group, uh, dear friend, partner of Jayo, and really runs the largest uh, private hospital group in India. She's doing some amazing work bringing health and wellness, health risk assessments into the corporate world. But also she's going to talk about 
the, in the next 30 to 45 minutes about how the work she's doing with CSR, corporate social responsibility, the movements they are bringing in in India and probably the rest of the world to bring about digital technology. Jeffrey Martin, Sophia University, but also the thought leader when it comes to trans technology, uh, dear friend again, and uh, excited to have every one of you guys on stage. And with that, I'm going to uh, actually go into pause mode and listen to you guys with an opening question. Uh, Pope Francis said he's really creating this movement on revolution of tenderness. And um, I want to kind of look at this whole area of tenderness and how can technology bring in tenderness. But before we tee it up to Moira, Deepak, do you want to share your thoughts on tenderness and your visit uh, to Rome? How can I share that? I, I had a short visit to the Vatican. As you know, Pope Francis is very liberal and is changing the thinking of the Catholic Church. And uh, there were amazing people there in, from the world of technology and biosciences, uh, stem cell research. So it, there's a whole reinvention of the church being led by Pope Francis. And he uh, requested all of us uh, to create a movement which is both secular and interfaith for uh, what he called love and tenderness in the world. So that's the message from Pope Francis. Thank you, Deepak. So, Myra, I think uh, maybe a quick introduction and then uh, get into this whole, uh, after you finish introduction, maybe we can get into this conversation on intimacy. And can social networks today connect that the lack of tenderness or the perceived lack of tenderness being online and your work you're doing with, with Facebook uh, in the, in the data, data sciences and research team? Sure. So thanks, Punacha. Uh, and thank you, Deepak, and to the Foundation for inviting all of us here this weekend. So my background is in human-computer interaction. And so my PhD is a combination of computer science and social psychology. And I have a great privilege to be able to apply that background at Facebook uh, as a research scientist. Because I study friendships and the role that friendships play in well-being. There's a lot of evidence that having meaningful relationships in your life, even just one person that you feel like you can count on, is linked to greater well-being. So in particular, knowing that there's someone out there that you can talk to when you're having a really bad day, or someone you can call when you need a ride to the doctor's office, is linked to a greater sense of social support, which acts as a buffer for stress, which then improves health in the long term. So because friendships are so uh, critical to well-being, and friendships are also at the heart of how Facebook works, Facebook cares a lot about people having good experiences with their friends on the site. They'd like the interactions that people have on Facebook to provide the same kinds of well-being benefits that offline interactions do. So to understand the relationship between Facebook use and well-being, we've surveyed thousands of Facebook users around the world, asking them validated social psychology questions about their stress levels, their feelings of social support, their depression, uh, loneliness, their satisfaction with life. 
And we've surveyed people at multiple points in time. And then with their permission, we match their survey responses with counts of activities that they've participated in on Facebook in the last month. So how many photos they shared, how many comments they got on their posts, how many stories they viewed when they logged in. And through that, we can see how different kinds of experiences on Facebook are linked to changes in well-being. What we found is that the more people interact one-on-one -on -one with close friends on Facebook, the more their well-being measurably improves. So what that means is uh, getting comments on your posts, sending messages, writing on a friend's wall, having some personalized one-on-one -on -one interaction with people that you care about is linked to improvements in stress, social support, loneliness, and uh, satisfaction with life. But on the other hand, if you just sit back and you passively read your newsfeed and you're not interacting with the people that you are reading about, you don't get those same well-being benefits. Uh, from our studies, our surveys, uh, we don't see that just reading seems to harm well-being, but you don't actually get the well-being benefits with, uh, unless you engage with friends. So in summary, interactions on Facebook have well-being benefits, but it's up to you to engage with people that you care about, just like offline. And this conversation is being brought live to the world right now through Facebook Live. Yes, thank you, Deepak. <laughs> yeah, I think we have a huge uh, thanks to Deepak's Facebook audience. We've been kind of broadcasting this live. So the next question, Dr. Malt, is uh, you've been doing pioneering work in, I think, when the wearables truly disappear and they kind of become stretchable electronics, the sensors that can be worn in garments and things like that, can you talk, share your vision uh, and obviously your background from uh, biosensors, biofeedback, and then genomics? How do you see all that coming together with social networks and technology and the future of well-being? Well, thank you, Panacha. Um, this is a really exciting time, uh, not just in healthcare and wellness, but everything that's going on across the planet and what's actually on? happening all around us and how this... Uh, probably is as monumental as, as 100 years ago the, the advancement of even antibiotics in, into uh, how we've uh, uh, improved health and wellness. And when I talk about connectivity, right now all of us probably have one of these things on our person. It's a smartphone. And there's about 14 billion of those connected devices on the planet Earth. Within the next five years, literally the connectivity or the Internet of Things is going to grow to over 50 billion connected things. And most of those are going to be things like your smart home and your, your smart car. Does anybody have a smart car? Well, what's the impact of those kinds of things on the planet Earth? These are cars that are now able to stop your car before it, it gets in an accident. And so in healthcare, you're going to see the advancement of, as Panacha mentioned, sensors and, 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 and things that connect, like home pregnancy tests that are now on the shelf that are Bluetooth. All of these things are going to connect 
uh, asthma inhalers, which will allow you to see when your child has taken a puff of their rescue inhaler. And what this is going to do is become a ubiquitous part of our connectivity and bring data together with the, the other information that we've been studying that you've been hearing about the last few days with genomics and proteomics as well as the contextual information like things from Facebook. When you can start to imagine the art of the possible and putting that information together in one place, it is game-changing. It is literally going to allow us to see and do things over the next 10 years in health and wellness that we never dreamed of uh, over the last 100 years because we never had that information together in one place. And uh, we couldn't be more excited about, about the types of things that, that Punacha and, and uh, Deepak are doing with Jio, uh, the things that you just saw with Muse. It, it really is going to pull together all this information and allow us to, to be able to be what we call uh, smarter or in the case of healthcare, we're talking about moving into an era of intelligent care. Thank you, Jim. Is, is there any way you can share your, do you have the patch with you? I'm, I know you, I'm super excited to see it in the market. Can you share your vision? Do you have it with you? The patch. The oh, sure. Yeah. So here's an example. And again, Qualcomm really doesn't, doesn't sell any of these types of things. We're quietly behind the scenes doing all the little engineering work. So this little patch actually is disposable. It's, it's actually being placed on patients right now when they go into the hospital and it measures their body temperature, their heart rate, their respiratory rate, uh, something called pulse oximetry, even EKG has a 3D motion sensor and is Bluetooth, so it connects right to uh, the internet. And as I, as I said earlier, these are disposable. And the important thing is this type of thing needs to happen without effort. If, if you have to have patients go through, uh, you know, connecting stuff and hooking stuff up, so you'll start to see this become kind of the fabric of your being, and then it becomes ubiquitous. Thank you. So that leads me to the next question, uh, Sridhar. I know you've been kind of pioneering this work in the technology should be seamless, wearables should be disappear. Uh, they should be fashionable. Most of the gadgets out there are so geeky, uh, you would not even want to seen, be seen wearing it, especially for women. Share your vision in technology, well-being, and how can well-being technology actually be cool? Well, uh, thank you for having me here. Uh, this is an amazing panel. And uh, I'm a product builder, uh, engineer by background, uh, and uh, went to a business school. Uh, currently responsible for uh, creating products around an IoT platform uh, at Comcast, focusing on security, peace of mind, and also saving people money, and, uh, and also improving lifestyles. So that's the core focus of what I do. And uh, going back into technology, you know, Many people consider technology being awfully intrusive, but I want to take you back, you know, 100 years or so, or more. During the agrarian economy, people were working close to 70 to 90 hours a week. 
and then came the industrialized economy for the same level of yield people had to just work 40 hours a week during the agrarian economy there was no category called entertainment you know yeah there was but it was really small but with technology coming into people's lives it freed up a lot of time people came home spent time you know there was a rise of television and uh, so technology actually helped give back time to people so if you look at technology and the infusion of technology into people's lives initially it, it definitely causes a lot of chaos but eventually there can be a lot of benefits that can be reaped from technology in the last 15 years or so we have seen at least two exponential technologies and when i say exponential i'm talking about it has penetrated over 60% of the population it's it's had an exponential ramp up and the beauty of these technology are it changes lives it disrupts industries and how people do business and uh, you know it brings in a huge economic impact first was the internet and uh, the next wave was mobile and we are seeing the third wave as you highlighted it's the era of connected devices and as we start to connect not just computers but devices that are in our pockets to people and objects themselves you will see that initial aspect of chaos and punacha highlighted that in my last incarnation when it relates to work um i don't remember the other piece so i was responsible for creating wearables and the ethos was very straightforward what you wear is fashion it is not all about function otherwise we would still be running around with fig leaves right you know it's it's an expression of your oneself and we said what you wear is fashion what you carry is electronics the first part there's a person if they have to wear something is there needs to be an emotional attachment to what you wear and based on that you know we decided to incorporate technology into beautiful objects and um, you know and and that's the ethos that you know we continue to move in i'm looking forward to uh, contributing on various aspects of how connected living can bring you a lot of peace of mind uh, during the course of this panel again thank you for having me thank you sridhar i just great deepak i just want to say one thing yesterday we spoke about evolution a little bit darwinian but um, i think technology is part of our evolution now, right now as a human species and as the human universe which is what we experience we don't experience uh, insect universe or an amphibian universe we experience a human universe and technology is part of that evolution of the human universe as experienced um, by conscious human beings and if we don't like technology which happens any time there's disruption there's discomfort um it's here to stay 
It's irreversible. So don't resist it because, you know, resisting what is irreversible means extinction. Uh, we have to decide how we're going to use it. That's the big issue because like anything, it can be destructive, but it can also be healing. Thank you, Deepak. So, Paddy, coming back to, obviously, with your introduction, but also I think maybe you can touch upon the work which I think I'm pretty passionate about, looking at this whole area of burnout. Uh, you're look, looking very much on the physician side, provider side, but also highlighting how it can be used in the corporate well-being, too. Uh, good morning, everyone. Um, Punachia, Deepak, thank you so much for having me and share my thoughts. Um, my background is uh, as a cardiologist, and uh, as anyone who works in, in healthcare, your ultimate mission really is to, is to make a difference. And for me, that was pursuing uh, digital health. Um, and I think when I began to explore the field, I think you find that we have done incredible jobs with the technology pieces, with the biology pieces, but we were really not getting the, the true potential um, if we didn't address the, the psychology piece of how they all blended together and how we actually utilized the technologies to the best of their advantage. Um, so a lot of my work is based in, in genomics and digital health and, and seeing how you can augment um, existing technologies to affect better behavioral change. As part of my training, I trained as an interventional cardiologist, and effectively what that means is you're doing procedures, and potentially some of those procedures, uh, people are dying, and you're saving people's lives. But what I found quite surprising was that uh, these people who were doing what you would imagine is one of the world's most fulfilling jobs um, were totally dissatisfied with their work. So my objective was not only to affect the, the best outcomes for patients, but was also to focus it on the actual the caregiver community. Because as the line goes, uh, no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And my work basically has had that twofold element, looking at the patient population, um, to really amplify the effects of the technologies that we have available to us to deliver the best care, but also to look at populations who deal with very complex situations in high-stress environments. And the existing technologies we used were simple survey tools, for example, but was to try and capture using a whole suite of novel technologies um, that we have available to us to create complex models of biomarkers that predict when people are stressed, when they're approaching burnout, and ultimately to preempt adverse outcomes within these groups, uh, like mental health disorders and up to and including suicide. So the technology piece has really given us this opportunity to measure on a continuous basis the personal biometrics of mood. And we're doing several studies to actually assess this. Um, historically, we would have had to use very clunky, not very suitable medical devices to measure these sets of biometrics. But now, because we have this explosion in technology, we can do this incredibly uh, effectively in a passive way. And it gives us immense opportunity to identify those at highest risk 
and also to take the temperature of a person but also a department or an organization and to really understand if a department or organization is feeling stressed as an individual, as an organization, and then target methodologies to try and approach and, and correct that. So we've also discovered that within the physician communities, the actual well-being of the physician has a huge outcome on the well-being of the patient. And it ultimately means that better physicians deliver better care, and it is really technology that is, that is augmenting and allowing this uh, to happen. Thank you, Patty. I think just one point to add to Patty is that on, on the Jio platform today, we can pretty much, uh, looking at your selfie, look at micro-expressions and figure out uh, what's the mood of a person. There's technology from Beyond Verbal, which can look at the pitch and standard deviation on your voice, the balance of your voice, and figure out uh, what is the change in mood. We can look at eye tracking. We can look at galvanic skin response and look at people, uh, look at their responses, and almost in near real time, figure out mood. So this is a very interesting time for us to bring technology into well-being. So moving on, uh, Rick, uh, from a mind-body perspective, I know we are working closely to bring service providers globally. Can you share your vision and uh, where do you see that going? Sure. Thank you, Panacha. So mind-body was born in my garage 16 years ago when my co-founders and I asked ourselves, um, how can technology be used to improve people's health and wellness? Uh, we looked at the world at that time, you know, around the start of the new millennium, and realized that while technology has had a lot of benefits, it's also had a number of downsides. Um, it's made us all more sedentary. Um, technology has gotten into the food industry, and we've all learned over the last two days of some of the impacts of that. And we're all dealing with more and more stimulation and, and sometimes more and more stress. And so we looked at, well, who's helping that? And we found this incredibly beautiful, rich, diverse world of wellness practitioners, uh, these teachers and trainers and therapists and coach, coaches, uh, the integrative health practitioners. And we said to ourselves, we should be able to connect these people to more and more people around the world. And so we set about with this simple vision, leveraging technology to improve the wellness of the world by building the world's largest and first wellness services marketplace. And uh, like a lot of visions, it was about 100 times harder than we ever imagined. Uh, and MindBody today is a 16-year overnight success story. Uh, and things that we still we dreamed about in that garage, we are still working on, uh, and it will never be done. But for the time being, if you have used a website or a mobile app to book or find and book a yoga class, um, to find an acupuncturist, uh, to find that CrossFit class, to get yourself moving and improve your life, uh, you're probably using our platform. And of course, in that garage 16 years ago, we could not imagine the kinds of just wonderful technologies that all of these folks are talking about. We could not have imagined that we'd all be carrying supercomputers around in our pockets that instantly connect us to anyone in the world. So the vision that's happening, the vision that's being talked about at this conference, the vision that Punacha and Deepak uh, shared with me just a few months ago, uh, is, is just truly exciting. We are truly on the cusp of something wonderful. And if you are one of those folks that are a bit terrified of technology, um, I agree with Deepak. It's here. And you know what? You can get on the train anytime. You don't have to go back and figure out what got us here. Um, what we have today is so much more approachable and, and so much easier to use 
Um, it's like comparing an early automobile. You know, a Model T Ford was quite difficult to drive versus the car you get in today. Well, that's a metaphor for technology today. It's, it's easy. Don't worry about the past. Get on the train. Wonderful things are happening. So I want to just add one thing. Um, Mind Body Online is available through Jio. We are partners. And last month I was uh, in a small place in Switzerland giving a two-day workshop. And suddenly, you know, the urge came to do a yoga class and also to have a good vegan meal. So I took out my iPhone. I clicked on Mind Body Online. I was literally uh, near a bridge which uh, was on the border of France, Switzerland, and Germany because my, my workshop attendees were from all these three countries. So I clicked on it, Mind Body Online, through Jio, and um, there were six vegan restaurants within, <laughs> within walking distance and a yoga class, private or, uh, or go to a yoga studio, within walking distance. So that's the power of this kind of technology. And, of course, I used it. Thank you, Deepak. I think we are at a time, I think, we can actually look at contextual services. I don't know how many people in the audience have seen the movie Her, H-E-R, yeah? or AI or Transcendence. Cool. I think uh, the key thing right now is that we can now, using the mobile phone, recommend the right product, the right service, the right content, and the right expert. Maybe a professional yoga teacher or a professional doctor who's in your neighborhood who really understands your biology, your narrative. And with that, I think, question, I want to kind of uh, go to Upasana. Upasana, you, you and your family have been doing amazing work in India over the years. And uh, you've been championing Apollo Life. Uh, you've been looking at health and wellness, corporate well-being, and also looking at how do you bring it uh, to really the unconnected. You, you talk about India, the villages. You guys have done some amazing pioneering work in telemedicine and digital technology. Can you share your vision and uh, where you see that going? Thank you. So our story started 45 years ago when my grandfather was a cardiac physician at Mass General. And on his birthday, he received this letter from his father saying, what are you doing in America? You better come back home and serve your countrymen. And then so he obliged. He went back. He started his practice in Chennai. And he lost a patient because he couldn't afford uh, world-class cardiac care. He took it upon himself to to bring world-class, affordable healthcare to India. And that's what uh, we are today, the Apollo Group, with 64 hospitals, uh, 2,500 pharmacies, 115 clinics, uh, nine women care centers, 220 occupational health centers, and this is really close to my heart, because we offer everything from ambulatory care to spa services in the, uh, mm -hmm. in the corporate, because they really need this and our own insurance company, so we know we want to make India a health destination of the world, and it can happen very soon. I think at a, at a personal level, I think Jaya is working very closely with Apollo in India, and I think when I went back to India eight years ago, I realized that corporate wellness was really, I mean, Bangalore, the city I grew up in, has a very high suicide rate, and I realized that people were super connected, yet very lonely. Uh, there's high incidence of diabetes, uh, uh, I think I find that people are really not moving anymore. They're really stuck up working long hours. They're stuck in traffic. 
And I'm super excited to actually bring some of these technologies in India at, a, at an economic value where they can really bring about transformation. So we'll get into that point later on, Upasana, but thanks again. Uh, I think you're going to share your thoughts on also what you're doing in rural India, right? Correct. Okay. So, um, well, my country, we have more phones than toilets in our country. And um, we have about 200 million people using the smartphone today. And we are a very adaptable nation. So we've skipped the computers and gone to the smartphone. And now we're doing teleconsults. We have to make an impact to those billion lives in India. And so this is our way. Using disruptive technology is something that will help us connect to uh, all these billion people. And we're doing it so cheap. And the government's supporting us. So, you know, this is the Apollo Group is so happy to work in 19 countries and uh, India specifically and uh, parts of Africa also to bring this healthcare, world-class healthcare with people sitting in uh, with, through telemedicine, through we've just uh, launched this thing called Ask Apollo, which, are, which is teleconsults. And we're building more and more products to bring this world-class healthcare to India. I think this is really the future. I think we look at technology. How can it democratize well-being? I think that's been the passion of Deepak. It cannot be just class. It has to be mass. It has to reach everybody globally. And I think technology can play a big role here. So moving on to Jeffrey, I think from your perspective, you've been working on consciousness, uh, spirituality, research, and really pioneer trans tech. I mean, I'm super, I, mean I was there in the conference last year at the, at the Transformative Technology con uh, Conference. So can you share your vision? Where do you see consciousness and technology meet and your own thoughts for well-being? Thanks so much, Pranacha. I'm usually the guy who's brought in to talk about all this stuff. So this has been fantastic. Uh, I get to come at the end to some degree where everybody's already given their spiel and I don't have to cover so much. That so maybe a job, you did a good job. Everybody's adopted what you've been talking about. Yeah, you know, all of this stuff is kind of, even the... Even the toilet that you heard about yesterday, do you remember the thing about uh, the microbiome and how you're going to have these toilets that analyze your, your you know, business, so to speak? Um, all of that, right? There's toilets that do some of that already in Japan uh, that do some urine analysis and stuff like that, basically on the fly and make it into big data and analyze it across people and individuals. And so all of this stuff is already happening. So I'm Jeffrey Martin, um, and I'm interested in all of this stuff. As you can tell, I'm wired up with some examples today. In fact, let me put one more on here real quick, which you saw earlier, borrowed from our friends and partners at Muse, which have a table out there. About uh, a little good, over Jeffrey. 10 years ago... I think you should wear it all the time. That's Pardon? a fashion statement. I, I know. I should, I should just have it surgically implanted. We're coming to that you know, soon. Hopefully it'll be a little more invisible by that point. Um, so about 10 years ago, uh, I, you know, I'd had a pretty amazing, I think, successful life, like probably a lot of you. Uh, but I, and I, if you would have asked me, I would have said, sure, I'm happy. But secretly, I knew that I wasn't really as happy as I felt like the world promised I should be, uh, based on everything that I'd done, all the sacrifices I'd made, you know, all of that up to that point, right? And so I kind of went on a quest, and I went back to school, picked up even more graduate degrees, uh, these, this time in like uh, qualitative research and quantitative research, uh, psychology, neuroscience, stuff like that. And uh, I started a quest to really sort of figure out who has the most well-being. 
Uh, and that actually led me to populations of studying people like what Deepak talks about in terms of people that experience advanced states of consciousness and things like that. So we've been doing that for about 10 years from a psychological, cognitive science, neuroscience type standpoint. And eventually, I was convinced that those people weren't crazy and that they weren't lying to me. I was skeptical initially. I was the skeptical scientist. I never had any of those experiences. I didn't take drugs, so I didn't have any psychedelic experiences. You know, it was, I had to kind of ease my way into uh, this type of population. And the day came when I thought, you know, we should try to engineer these type of experiences. And so I started to try to find people who were interested in taking some of the neuroscience and stuff that had been done and engineering it. And I, that was very hard to find. It's hard to find people who want to engineer uh, higher states of consciousness. So we wound up pioneering the space that is transformative technology, which is technology for well-being. I thought, well, if we could at least find some people to work on well-being, maybe some of those people will work on the really ex highest forms of well-being, you know, that we're interested in researching. And so that's where we're at right now. And I just thought I'd bring a few things with me to show you kind of where this is at. I got, we got a sense yesterday when we all pre-met of what people are going to be talking about. So I thought, okay, I'll bring some stuff kind of on the ground, right? So uh, we have an experiment coming up um, in November where we're going to do about 2,000 people all around the world with uh, meditation and whatnot. And if you want to participate in that with these devices and stuff, you can go to thefinderscourse.com. Um, and these are the devices we're going to use. We're going to use the Muse for EEG. We're going to use this on my finger is GSR. You've probably heard the term GSR a few times. This is used to pick up arousal, whether you're relaxed or whether you're excited, but it's really being used with advanced analytics these days to detect a lot of emotion. You're going to see something coming out this month, maybe next month, depending on the ship dates and whether or not they really work out, uh, from a company called Empatico, which is going to do some really great stuff with a watch. And GSR, uh, it's really kind of the first thing that's going to sneak its way into the marketplace um, that you can buy that's going to do some emotion tracking and things like that. And you're going to see more and more of that coming out. Uh, this is heart rate. This would go under your shirt, right? You don't actually wear this around uh, over your shirt like this. But, you know, I thought about coming out here without a shirt on, just wearing the heart strap. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. I wasn't sure how appropriate that would really be. So, uh, so yeah. This is, it really picks up a very high fidelity. Now, there, I've also got two devices on my wrist, right? So this is a Jawbone uh, device. And this is a new device from China. Just came out a couple of months ago from Shenzhen. And it actually measures blood pressure throughout the day. And uh, so we've been experimenting with this device. I've been traveling around with clinical blood pressure monitoring equipment to compare how it does in different settings and stuff. And it's been incredibly accurate. This company has another watch coming out and December or January, that is going to do glucose, they say. So there's some glucose stuff that's coming out as well. There's some companies in, in San Francisco and other places that are also doing some glucose stuff that's non-invasive. And so this is, a, this, is a type, this is what you can have now, right? This is Essence from Germany, Muse from Canada, uh, Shenzhen Company, and then Jawbone from, I think, America. Uh, and so this is stuff that you can buy now, right? And you're starting to hear how this is going to be integrated and how the big data comes into this and all of that. So we're collecting data in an experiment right now, in a pilot experiment with about 60 people using uh, some of these various devices to try to figure out sort of what's the physiology behind long-term meditation. It's a four-month meditation program that people do at home, basically. Uh, we're going to expand that out to 2,000 people in November because we want to be able to do big data 
You know, there's a big difference between the data that you have and the possibility that you have when it's 60 people versus 2,000 people. But if you look ahead and you think about what I was just talking about, and you think about what these guys are talking about up here, you have cars, right? So you have companies like Daimler, for instance, in Germany, beginning to explore things like heart rate variability in their cars, asking themselves, how's the car going to change? Well, the car's going to change from something that you drive around to something that you're stuck in for a period of time between point A and point B, right? What are you going to do when you're stuck in that car? Are you going to read a book? Are you going to watch uh, a movie? Are you going to, you know, hang out with friends? Is it going to be like a little lounge that you're like hanging out with people from point A to point B? And so they're starting to think about how do you look at well-being? These car companies are starting to think about how do you look at well-being integrated with all of this? And can you, what should you be measuring? Should you be beyond verbal, great company out of Israel, that Punacha measured has some fantastic patents that can measure all kinds of stuff with voice from disease states also to your effect, developmental effective level. Also on the micro-expressions, Effectiva in Boston, doing some amazing work also on micro-expressions. Yeah, absolutely. The camera is doing the micro-expression stuff. So all of this stuff is really, we're at the infancy for all of this. We're not going to be wearing a lot of these devices. You know, they're going to get into our clothes, and then they're probably going to pass beyond our clothes, and it's going to be the beyond verbals of the world and things like that that just sort of organically pick this stuff up in the environment. Your car is just kind of going to pick it up. Stuff in your house is just going to kind of pick it up. Uh, and it's going to be ubiquitous and it's just going to sort of sneak its way into our life and I think benefit us in some tremendous ways like you've heard from the panel today. Thank you, Jeff. Punacha, one more sure. comment. Sure, so, uh, You know, we are also working with Delos Living, which is housing for well-being and uh, now have a partnership Delos has with IBM Watson. So actually, as soon as you enter your house, everything can be monitored if you want, from micro uh, facial expressions to mood to tone of voice to blood pressure to heart rate. So actually, you might not even need to wear anything. You just walk around the house. Thanks, Deepak. So now this is going on to the next phase, which is the hard problem of technology. How can we really, when you're looking at chronic disease management and the burden on the healthcare system, Deepak, maybe I'm going to ask you this question to share your five Ps and have the rest of the panel kind of comment on how what they're doing from technology can help solve or bring about the ecosystem you're liking to build around the chronic disease management, Deepak. Your five Ps. So the five Ps of the future of well-being, preventable, predictable, personalized, participatory, and process-oriented. It's already happening, but it's happening faster than we think, and it's going to happen now because of the partnerships that we see. You know, I think we have to go beyond competitiveness to an ecosystem of cooperation. We're seeing that right now. Okay, with that, uh, anybody want to take a start? Sure. So one of the things that we know a lot are that social relationships are one of these aspects that can help with things like chronic health management um, by lowering your stress levels. When you think about the technology that we use every day, so social media, which is a really big part of so many people's lives, uh, you think, eh, how much can that really help, right? What's a kitten video worth? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
it turns out that interactions on social media have meaningful and substantive impacts on well-being. Uh, so here's, here's how I know that we can say this. So uh, in surveys of Facebook users, we uh, measured their well-being, so their stress levels and their depression, their happiness, their feelings of social support. We also asked them about major events that had happened in their lives in the past month. Did you have a major illness? Did you get married? Did you have a baby? Uh, did someone you love pass away? And by doing that, we could see across all of the people who participated in our surveys how much their well-being changed based on these major life events. And what we found was that receiving about two extra Facebook comments every day, so about 60 comments in a month, was associated with improvements in well-being, particularly in social support, that were linked to the same a volume, sort of same amount of well-being improvements that came from some of these major life events, like getting married or having a baby. Uh, so y you might be surprised to think that you know just uh, writing on a friend's wall would have such a large impact, but in fact it has a measurable impact, which we think in the long term uh, would have demonstrable impact on health as well. Thank you, Corey. That's fantastic. Punacha, I'd. I'd uh also like to offer up actually something quite remarkable that happened this year that that line up very nicely with Deepak's uh, five P's um, and also speaks to the to the to the data and the the magnitude of effort. Uh, we've all seen how many of you have got a wearable of some type or have had one. Raise your hand. Yeah, it's, it's pretty universal these days. Uh, but what's interesting is, is when does that cross over? And it's something that actually tangibly benefits you and at the same time you're highly incentivized to not just do it for a few weeks or a few months but as a, a longitudinal, long-term uh, impact on your behavior and prevention and, and uh, process. So along comes this uh, little insurance company uh, known as United Healthcare. Anybody ever heard of them? Uh, funny enough, they actually touch about one-fourth of every transaction in our healthcare system today. And what's remarkable is that for the first time in the history of the world, you now have, earlier this year, the largest insurance company in the, in the, in the world, commercial insurance company, actually giving a wearable device to employees and not as a marketing campaign or a fitness challenge but literally based on four years of analysis of millions of health records, not hundreds or thousands or even tens of thousands but literally tapping back into a database of millions of records, they started to figure out and see a, a pattern of utility for a simple wearable device that now has turned into an entire insurance plan that allows employees to earn $4 per day, $120 per month, $1,500 per year cash that gets deposited into their health savings account, not only for themselves, but another $1,500 for their spouse. So imagine somebody saying, Here's the opportunity for you to earn $3,000 uh, 
uh, cash for you and your family by wearing one of these devices and executing against a, a curriculum that will actually benefit you and a measurable health outcome that will keep you happy and healthy, keep you working and your employer healthy, and lower the overall cost of, of your insurance care. And this is just the beginning, as you've been hearing, of the types of things that you're going to see where it's not really about the technology, it's really about being able to pull together the right information with the, frankly, the data scientists who are seeing the relationships and, and being able to turn that into a program that, that benefits everybody involved. This is incredibly exciting to us because one thing we've found um, our system, in the last 12 months, over half a billion wellness sessions were delivered on our platform um, by over 350,000 practitioners to over 30 million people, which is wonderful. But, but here's the problem. It's primarily affluent, educated professionals. It's people like all of us. We're, we've never been healthier. But what about the middle income and the lower middle income people who don't have the, the cash or the education to know to go do something like a yoga class or a spinning class. And so the idea that a major health, uh, health insurer, United Healthcare, is incentivizing is incredibly exciting because our ultimate BHAG goal is connecting wellness and healthcare. That, that's the big win, we think. Thank you. So you're basically saying that without extrinsic uh, motivation, if you don't give people money, people don't change behavior? Or is there, is there something else we can do to change behavior? Obviously, if we get a check, it's great. But what about, is there anything else we can do besides monetary rewards and extrinsic motivation? Patty, you were about to say something. Did I interrupt you? No, no. Um, I, I think uh, a lot of um, what we've seen in terms of the introduction of the wearable technologies, etc., all of us are owners of one, and all of us more than likely have one in our bedside locker or some place in our kitchen. The durability is, is an issue, um, but I think it is about fundamentally understanding what people feel. Um, people don't want to walk more steps for the just core basis of walking more steps. They don't want to um, have lower blood pressure just to have a lower number. I think we need to do a better job at understanding those core motivations in terms of somebody may wish to have a lower blood pressure because they want to see their nephews uh, graduate from college. And if you can understand those individual motivators, the aggregate benefit of the technology pieces that we use uh, will be amplified much more. And I think to give two somewhat contrasting uh, utility pieces for technology in the application of managing chronic care, um, I'm sure everybody here has sat in a physician's office and felt that the consultation was rushed. Um, that's, that's a reality in terms of the, the time-based uh, limitations that are in place. One of the advances we've seen is in terms of clinical decision support systems, and it's using supercomputing super power to actually augment the role of the physician. And now a lot of physicians are initially reluctant to engage with this because they feel it's taking away their role. But what we're beginning to see is, is that a lot of the the basic task-orientated uh, elements of the physician-patient encounter can now be done in an automated fashion, freeing up more time 
to actually have that face-to-face -face conversation and understand what those core motivators are. To flip it on its head, we're also seeing the stark realities of the ratios between, say, healthcare providers and patients in need, for example, with certain psychiatric disorders. And there just are patients who live in geographical areas whereby they do not have access to either a counseling therapy or a psychiatrist. But we are seeing technology really reduce that gap. And not only reduce that gap so that counselors or therapists can reach a greater number of people or those who they wouldn't historically uh, have been able to reach. We are seeing digital avatars, so effectively completing the Turing test, whereby people are comfortable interacting with an entirely digital uh, entity uh, for certain elements. Um, they feel less shame about admitting, admitting certain items of their health. Um, and there is utility and function in each of these. The answer will not be in the utilization of one. It will be understanding the aggregate needs and how these fit together uh, as a package rather than simply relying on one to deliver the solution that we're looking for. Any other thoughts, uh, Sri? I mean, so you're talking. Yeah, you know, for no fault of the fitness tracker companies, you know, technology was not there yet, right? And the beauty is, this is like a perfect storm. This is a process of evolution, but this is a perfect storm. It, like three years ago, technology in, in terms of computing was flat, it was all focused on speeds and feeds, you know, remember those days? One megapixel camera, we were like, ooh, that's awesome. Then there was 13 megapixel, we didn't know what to do. Nokia came up with a 41 megapixel, you know, so it's what? over. Yeah, yeah, so what? <laughs> so that's where technology was, flat computing. But now, technology and computing is becoming more and more human-like. To give you an example, you know, we are not talking about speeds and feeds. We are talking about what's called neuromorphic computing. You know, the IBM Synapse is a great example of a processor that can do that. You know, gone are the days, we, you know, where you focus on cameras alone, but now we are talking about depth cameras, just like the human eye, right? And this is not about simple flat microphones. We are talking about far-field microphones, which, can, which is just like the human ear. We are moving from flat computing to neuromorphic computing. We are moving from sentiments to sentience. And if you actually look in the world of wearables, you know, now we are talking about wearing something, it's gonna be in you. Look at what's happening with nanobots, you know, for cancer. And I really think we are going from organic to bionic. So someday, having a chip on your shoulder might be a good thing. <laughs> Any other closing thoughts before my next question or next I debug? just want to add that this thing that almost everyone is carrying has uh, more computing part than the big uh, computer that was housed in several rooms at MIT that put men on the moon. So you have more computing power in your pocket right now. I had a point I wanted to add. You know, I, I think that this... Uh, Virtual reality and augmented reality is incredibly exciting. The, the idea that uh, Punacha could be moderating this conversation from, from halfway around the world. 
is exciting. But how many people here uh, were, he were at... halfway across. He's uh, in India. You oh, didn't know right. that? You did that. <laughs> it, that was a quick flight. Uh, how many people here were at the Michael Franti concert last night? So, uh, yeah, right? Um, that feeling, that energy, that love, that uh, physical exercise, because that is exercise going to a Michael Franti concert. Um, isn't it interesting that recording artists tour more than ever before? Isn't it interesting that we will travel from halfway around the world to come to this conference so we can actually physically be together? And so, in my opinion, um, these augmented realities are useful only in that they, they invoke in us a memory of the real experience. And so this morning, Jill and I, my wife and I, were sharing the video of that wonderful man from Miami with the white suit who was up here dancing with Michael. Well, you know, the fact that we were actually here experiencing is what made looking at the video because it's so joyful. And so I think there's, it's a matter of augmenting our reality and enhancing our reality, uh, giving us a means to share with a broader audience. But the reality, the hunger we have for, for direct communication, I think remains. Well, Thank one you. of the things I think you'll see is that an increase in connection with these technologies. Uh, so I have a, a dear friend and collaborator, longtime collaborator um, named Mikey Siegel, who's really, really interested in figuring out how to synchronize biosignals between people and what happens when you synchronize biosignals between people. And he's kind of on the extreme kind of techie edge of that. But then if you go to transtech200.com, which is in like a, a list of the most interesting, what we think is the most interesting transtech stuff that's out there, um, you'll see that there's really amazing connection technologies that are on it. For instance, there, there's a ring that you can wear with your spouse where you can feel their heartbeat and they can feel your heartbeat, right? There's empathy technologies where you can get a sense, for if you're a man for what your pregnant wife is going through in terms of feeling the fetal heartbeat of the child inside her and that bond that she gets to have over all of this long arc of time that you as a man have never been able to, theoretically at least, experience. And you before, can take right? it out during labor, right? Is that the... <laughs> <laughs> right? You, right, you, you, you want to take it off, you know. <laughs> when the water breaks, the tech comes off. It's a very simple rule. Um, and so there, you know, this is just, these are just very, very small examples. I can go on and on and on. There's a whole bunch of different examples. But people who are interested in this type of technology are thinking about it from a human connection standpoint and an integration type standpoint. The, the ring thing started a while back with people being able to feel a pillow, uh, sleep on a pillow with a heartbeat. Uh, and you could feel your spouse who was traveling, you know, while Deepak was traveling on the other side of his world, on the other side of the world, his wife could feel his heartbeat, essentially, while she went to sleep that night. Things like that. And so uh, I think we we're, we're, we can't even begin to imagine the degree to which we're going to be able to dissolve the boundaries between self and other with some of these technologies and gain in areas of empathy and understanding and caring for others. I think there's a, a great opportunity to, to build these senses of connection with other um, using, in addition to sort of new, new wearables, but also just using the technology that we're carrying around with us every day. Um, so, you know, I know a lot of us were at the, the concert last night. How many of you took a photo or a video and sent it to someone who wasn't here? Right? Yeah, a lot of us did. Um, and that's a sense of sharing that experience with someone that you care about. And that signal is a way to build up a sense of social support and well-being. 
Um, we also see other forms of empathy being shared on social media as well. There's, there's this notion that on the internet, you're only supposed to share the most positive, upbeat, happy versions of yourself, um, right? Yeah, um, but that would be a very artificial way to present yourself. Um, and so, you know, being able to share when you're going through something difficult with other people so that they can feel empathy for you or give you the support that you need is part of being human and part of having a, a meaningful life. Uh, so at Facebook, we wanted to understand whether people were, were basically expressing empathy for each other. One thing that you can do when you're, you're posting a photo or you're sharing a status update now is you can attach a feeling to that post. So I don't know if you've seen those little smiley faces, but you can basically write a status update and you can say, I'm feeling ecstatic or I'm feeling blue. And um, we uh, ran a study with Facebook users where we looked to see what kinds of feelings people were sharing on the site. And contrary to this notion that people only share the most positive, sort of artificial, happy versions of themselves, we found that more than a third of the feelings that people were sharing were difficult, sad feelings. And when they share these difficult, sad feelings, they get twice as many comments on those posts. And their comments are longer and they're more supportive. So if you add to a normal status update that you're feeling devastated, you'll get almost three times as many comments on that post as a normal post. Thank you. It's this great opportunity to see empathy and personal connection as well. Thank so you. I, I think this, that a lot of this goes back to what Deepak, which you, you talk about in terms of does, uh, does money buy you happiness? Does a new car buy you happiness? Does a uh, new job buy you happiness? Does good news buy you happiness? Uh, none of them do. But what they buy you are a temporary elevation in dopamine, serotonin, um, your feel-good neurotransmitters. Um, the vehicles that we use to achieve those are manifold, and it's just about understanding that architecture uh, of what actually provides that for you, and also understanding that your body is a self-regulating system, whereby you can't live in an external, you know, a constant state of elevated serotonin. You will simply get used to it. So it's about understanding the peaks, how to manage it, and uh, using whichever technology pieces uh, that can provide that. So quick question, just shifting gears now. The next question I want to ask you guys is that um, the narrative of health and wellness is changing. I think Dr. Topol's book on instead of the doctor will see you now, it's the patient will see you now. So can you comment on with the data, with the amount of information we have, especially in health and wellness, how will that actually change uh, patient-provider interaction uh, going forward? Can I to, to jump on that? Please. What, what we're looking at right now is the massive transformation that we've seen in lots of other industries. Uh, how many of you called a travel agent to book your flight to come to this meeting? Did you know you could do that online? <laughs> uh, just so good. You know, it's, it's interesting, though. When you think about it, 15 years ago, we used to have to go to a travel agent, sit down with somebody, or be on the phone for a half hour talking about when we wanted to go, where, and how much it would cost. And give them. That just doesn't happen anymore. But when you think about healthcare, healthcare for the last 2,000 years, whether it's your doctor or your, your healer, has been a face-to-face -face, you know, engagement, which is great. 
but what we have is a system that's, that's episodic. We only get to see somebody every so often, um, and it's, it's, it's haphazard. We have no information. It's kind of a, a, a black hole in between visits. And so what technology does is completely changes the ability to go from an episodic model of, of interaction to a continuous care model. That way we can be plugged in to each other and to our healthcare system on a near continuous basis so that we can see what's going on without you even having to, to do much of anything. And when we see the data and the predictive analytics that, that start to flag a problem much earlier, we're going to see things that we never saw until it became a crisis. And, and crises are bad for everybody. And what we want to do is be able to see something very early and say, hey, we can see you're starting to have some trouble. We can see you're starting to struggle. Let's do something about it now. Let's come together as a community, as a healthcare system, and be proactive. And that's what being pluck, plugged in is all about. That's what the technology will do. The technology is not the, the answer. It's really how we use it. And systems like MindBody and what Patty is talking about relative to, to the, the well-being of, of the practitioners and, and, and the feedback that they're getting, this is all going to just dramatically change. Ten years, we, ten years from now, we will look back and realize you know, that our healthcare system has moved from something that was trial and error to again, intelligent care that, that is based on, on streams of information. Upasana, do you want to share your thoughts on you know, looking at data and then really bringing this now, some of the work you guys are looking at from markets like in India and Africa? So um, we have all this data. What are we going to do with it? So how do I get more people to use all this data and use it efficiently? So we at Apollo and as global citizens and uh, healthcare providers need to start to think of how to make easy solutions. I'm sure most of you would have booked your things online if you, know, you had an easy solution for you. So how about chatting? And you had also mentioned that you know, we can't, um, consultations are not so intense anymore as they should be. So how about just doing this online? And how about doing this off your phone? My country people can't afford wearables. They can afford phones. And by 2019, my country, I'm very proud to say, will, be, um, will have the second largest amount of smartphones in the world. And so using that, yeah, I, exactly. uh, using that I really want um, our people and, uh, to build solutions that we can interact with the doctor one-on-one -on -one being at home or being anywhere. You can't reach a hospital because if we had to build hospital and uh, care for our, in my country to actually serve the purpose, it would cost you $6 trillion year on year for the next five years, and that's impossible. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Sages. Thanks to all the panel members. At this point, I guess uh, it's time for me to uh, show up live. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.